Hi, friends, and welcome to the Robcast. This episode is about a piece of music, uh, and uh, this piece of music is called Quartet for the End of Time. And I, uh, I want to tell you about what happened recently when I experienced Quartet for the End of Time. About a month or so ago, my friend Karenza Peacock, who plays the violin, she's actually been on the Robcast, uh, I don't know, a couple years ago. And if you've heard her play the violin, uh, it is something. She told me she was going to be in Ojai at the Art Center uh, and that she was going to be performing with three other musicians this piece. So, uh, And then she sent me uh, this fascinating story about the piece. So Quartet for the End of Time was written by a French composer named Olivier Messiaen. He was born in 1908. He was drafted into the French army in World War II and captured by the Germans. On May 6, 1940, Messiaen was taken to Gorlitz, which, was, which is now Poland, which was a Nazi prisoner of war camp. It was designed to hold 15,000, 15,000 prisoners of war, but at the time Messian got there, there were 50,000 uh, prisoners of war there. Yeah, so uh, this is where he wrote this piece called Quartet for the End of Time. Uh, and if you do just a little bit of internetting, that's a verb, about Messian uh, and get a little background, he wrote this about arriving at Gorlitz. He said, when I arrived at the camp... I was stripped of all my clothes like all the prisoners, but naked as I was, I clung fiercely to a little bag of miniature scores, like, like sheets of music, that served as consolation when I suffered. The Germans considered me to be completely harmless, and since they still loved music, not only did they allow me to keep my scores, but an officer, Karl Albert Brühl, also gave me pencils, erasers, and some music paper. So while he's imprisoned in this prisoner of war camp during World War II, Messian sets out to write Quartet for the End of Time. And then in January of 1941, with three other musicians in freezing snow, they premiere quartet for the end of time using beaten up instruments that they had sort of scavenged. Uh, the cello player played on a three string cello and it was just other guards and prisoners who heard them perform this piece. So a week ago Sunday, uh, the piece is 50, five zero, 50 minutes long. On Sunday, a week ago Sunday, I got to experience this piece, which is like a legendary classic piece that has gone on to influence so many people. And uh, the first thing that happened is uh, the musicians each spoke of how they came to the piece, which was utterly fascinating. Um, one of them talked about how Messian loved birds and bird sounds and how he would listen to bird sounds and then transcribe them, like take the songs, he would take the songs that birds sing and write out the actual notes they're singing, and that when humans try and play bird songs, it's like incredibly difficult. Like the best musicians on earth really have to stretch themselves to play 
those noises that you and I hear in the morning when we walk out our front door. How fascinating is that? And actually in Quartet for the End of Time, there are these moments when you can hear bird sounds in what they're playing. So we sat there, there were probably 70 or 80 of us, and before we heard the piece, we heard how the clarinet player, the piano player, the cello player, and Carenza, how they came to this piece. And several of them reflected on how they have revisited and played the piece over the years and how each time they play it, if they haven't played it for a number of years, the piece reflects back to them because it's apparently very, very difficult to play. It reflects back to them their own evolution. One of them said their own evolution as a musician, but also as a human. Yeah. So before we heard the piece, we heard from the people who were going to play the piece what it had, what their relationship was with what they were about to give us. Think about music and how the music that we listen to, uh, oftentimes you have headphones in or it's a car stereo or it's like a speaker in the house. But think about prior to the recording of music, which was most of the history of music, prior to the music being recorded, you only ever experienced music live. And you only ever experienced music live and the people playing the music and singing the music, that unique combination in space and time, in that room, that building with those people at that event, was like a one-off. You might hear that same song later, but, but it would be in a different time or a different place or a slightly different group of people. So when you and I listen to recorded music, and if you're like me, you've got songs you've listened to hundreds of times, the same song, this is actually brand new in the history of music. For most of the history of music, human beings only ever experienced music being played live and sung live as a 100% unique experience. Us hearing and singing and playing this right now. Yeah, it's so fascinating when you sit and you listen to people talk about how they found their way into this piece of music, and then they played it. And I'm telling you, it's 50 minutes long, and it starts out, and you know that you're going to be there for a while. By the way, they also mentioned that Messian was, uh, had synesthesia, I don't know how to say that, where he... Uh, sounds and music to him was related to color. He literally said, um, "Music. some music has color and some music doesn't. And you can actually, God, it's hard to explain. Talk, was it Thelonious Monk that said talking about music is like dancing about architecture? Um, even telling you the story of what happened to me uh, a couple Sundays ago, I'm, it's like the words are just grasping for what is ungraspable. And what was so interesting sitting there is the first notes, they, uh, it's like you have to commit to it. You know that feeling on Spotify when you, you play a song and you give it, what do you give it, five seconds, 10 seconds? And if it doesn't grab you, you're on to the next one. But this piece, it's like you, you have to commit on the front end. 
And uh, so the first notes, and it starts slow, not a lot of notes. Uh, compared to what happens later, not a lot is happening at the beginning. So if you're in, if you're committed, and you know you're going to go somewhere, and for me, I knew this is, this is like a classic, incredibly influential piece of music, so I, I'm, I'm going to go along for the ride. Um, but if you were just checking it out like you check out other music, you'd listen for the first couple seconds and be like, oh, there's nothing going on here. But if you stay something begins to happen. Uh, yeah. A number of the musicians at the beginning, several mentioned that the time signatures are different, and they played us samples of how Messian wanted it. There are certain notes he wanted held like almost as long as you can. Like the time signature was really, really slow. Uh, it's, it's hard to explain because some of the sections are really, really fast, and others, they hold notes for a long time, but what happens over the course of the piece of music is you get pulled into it and you have to like, not adjust, it's like you acclimate to the time of the piece of music and it's almost like you leave music, you leave normal time behind. It struck me partway through Quartet for the End of Time it's like, oh yeah, like he was experiencing an apocalyptic World War II, right? Tens of millions of people are dying. Like this is quartet for the end of time. It's like the end of the world. But when you experience the piece of music, it's like the end of time, meaning linear. On You're in some other place that the piece takes you where you lose track of time. And it's so beautiful. It's like so beautiful. And these, these notes, uh, at the very, very end, it ends with the violin playing these high, like, I was asking Carenza afterwards, and she was saying essentially almost like the highest notes that a violin can play. And after, because there are moments when it's very loud, um, there was also something fascinating happened, because you and I, we know energy and we know volume, and generally when you turn music up, like on the car stereo, it increases the energy. But energy and volume are actually two different things. That's why, like, you think about, like, that Nirvana, that classic Nirvana unplugged set, isn't the highest volume, but the energy is just, like, just bowls you over. So what happens in the piece is there are moments when they're playing quietly, but the energy is just blasting you. And then when they do, uh, there are a couple times when all four were playing the same notes, and it's happening, and they're playing very fast. I was going to say aggressive, but if it's a clarinet, is aggressive the word? Uh, what happens is your your it's like a, a door and you're entering into the energy of the piece, which is coming to you over history. And it's coming to you from this freezing cold Nazi prisoner of war camp in World War II. And you're all of the people who have heard this piece and what it's done to them and how it's moved. There's an energy in the collective 
human experience of this piece, which is the experience of cataclysmic events, which is the experience of loss and suffering, which is the experience of somebody creating something beautiful in the midst of turbulent times that are filled with despair and agony, something transcendent. Uh, and at the very, very end, it ends with uh, the violin playing these single high notes that almost don't sound like an instrument, and it just gets quieter and quieter. Uh, I was telling Carenza afterwards, they felt like those last notes that just, they don't drag, it's like they float outside of time, and it's like you're being set down gently after a 50-minute experience that you don't even, you can't even quite explain where you've just been. I told her that it was like fretless portals, like all these little passageways or doors into some other place, because you've been on this ride. And uh, at the Art Center, there's this main gallery room, and it has these double doors that open onto the courtyard where the trees are. And I'm sitting there, and, uh, you know, it's only like 30 feet away that I sit under the trees with you people. And January, February, March, April, I'll be there. Uh, two weeks, I'll be there. And I've had these experiences with sitting with you all in the two days, just right outside the door. So this this art center and and my family and our new life in Ojai, the history of the piece, and I'm experiencing that, and then it's talking to my history with this valley where we now live in this new life and these things that have happened to me over the past couple of years that have healed me and opened me and given my life a whole new sense of, I don't know what the word is, not direction, but vitality and freedom and liberation and lightness and joy and man, man, man. And uh, there's a little breeze outside the doors and it's a Sunday afternoon in this peace is coming to an end, and there are these single, sustaining highs, so high, you can almost like, it's like your heart can hear them, but your mind is like, I don't even know what's going on here. <laughs> I think I was the youngest person there by a couple decades, maybe, and it struck me the vitality of these this piece, and how I would say 90% of the people there were 70 or 80, and it hit me partway through. I wonder if something like this, it's almost like you can, can you only really begin to appreciate it when you're older? Because you've been through some stuff. Yeah, you've lived long enough to appreciate uh it's like you've lived long enough to know when to sit perfectly still. Yeah, no one had uh, their phone out, <laughs> needless to say. Yeah, no one was anywhere other than here. And I would look around a couple times during the performance, and everybody in the room was absolutely still. It was like we had all found ourselves in some sort of temple to sound, which is really vibration, which is 
Yeah. Yeah. It uh and in some way in many ways the peace it like invited, but it also kindly demanded that you only be there. Yeah, I wonder if there are things like that that it's like there are dimensions to it that you can only begin to feel and appreciate later. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting, this piece. I find it so compelling. Uh, Messians was, he was trying to make sense of what was happening in the world around him. That's how Quartet for the End of Time came to be. He found himself, I mean, you think about World War II and you think about Germany and you think about how, how in many ways we're still processing that event, let alone all the other events we are processing in history, let alone current events that we are fight, trying to find our way through. And Messiaen's essentially created this piece as a way of trying to make sense of the world around him in a way that he knew how, almost like this was the language he spoke. Yeah. Yeah, art, and in many ways you could speak of art as all of life, uh, but in this case, a French composer. Art, in many ways, is how we transcend our pain. It's the, crea it's the creative activity. It's what we throw ourselves into. It's that which we arrange and order and structure and bring into being. In many ways, you could see it as what we do with our pain. Yeah. Because anger, frustration, disorientation, disillusionment, rage, those, those are senses, feelings, perceptions, emotions. They're also energies. Yeah. And there is something about that man at that time whose response was not disempowerment, was not passivity, was not blaming the actions of others for his own inaction. However much I, he obviously was a very human person going through, I can't even imagine. But, but somewhere in there was also this instinct to make something, to express himself, to do something in the midst of that horrific suffering and pain and oppression and imprisonment. And, and so he does. He makes what's available to him. He gets these little pieces of music paper and he gets some writing utensils and he they give him a little space where he can work and he makes something that he scrounges together broken, battered instruments and organizes a world premiere of this piece that, man, 2023, this piece. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I sat there thinking of all the people everywhere uh, like me, trying to make sense of the world, trying to make your way 
in all this sadness and disappointment and despair and all, all of what is part of this experience we call being a human. And the power of what happens when we respond to it with, well, what do you want to make? What do you want to try? <laughs> what do you want to give yourself to with whatever bits and pieces and fragments of energy or resolve or yeah, impetus you, you might have? Yeah. And I'm telling you, quartet for the end of time. There was something about the presence of the piece and how you could through these how you could feel through these musicians who have given themselves to music and this just ferocious skill and passion i mean this guy playing the clarinet i mean that guy have you ever i mean what is your experience with the clarinet i didn't know the clarinet could do that that guy i've never said this phrase but man that guy in the clarinet was on fire <laughs> and even even there are moments in the Piece where there are these pauses, and the pauses are as they're as loaded as the sounds. I mean, wow, wow, wow! And there's no microphones, there's no amps. It was just four people in a somewhat large art gallery. But wow, it was like history itself. It's like this. This one man, decades ago, who decides in some small way, in, in the way he knows how, to transcend the pain of the moment. And it's like, you can't avoid its power, and its depth, and its beauty, and its resolve. <sighs> wow. Yeah. So thank you, Carenza. Shout out to my friend Carenza. Thank you. Thank you for the invite. I'm still, afterwards, <laughs> I was, <laughs> I said thank you, and I, I wanted to talk, but but I I realized I was going to burst out, <laughs> I was going to burst out crying. Um, and uh, they also had free cookies, and I was like, I don't want someone to, you know, I got to get to the cookies. <laughs> so, uh, Carenza, this is, <laughs> I was like, Carenza, at some point I'm going to tell you, what, what the experience was like, to, uh, just to thank you again for thinking of me. Um, so maybe this episode is that. Um. <laughs> yeah, maybe, that's, maybe this episode is a thank you. But it's also, to me, like this invitation to just keep in the midst of the sadness and disappointment and pain all around us. Uh, try and find a pencil and some paper or whatever it is for you. You got your own pencil and paper. You got your own notes in your head. We each have our, our own, but wow. Wow. Yeah. So that's a bit of what happened to me when I experienced for the first time quartet for the end of time. <laughs> 